beautiful work today, music team. We have such an amazing group of leaders uh, in our entire worship ministry, the band, to the choir, our accompaniment, our other pieces that you'll see rotate through. We, what was it last week we had a harmonica and a, a tenor saxophone playing hymns up here? This is a good place to worship. And it's a good place to be. If you don't know me, my name's Jeremy Hall. I'm one of your pastors here at Townview. And uh, this week, we're going to take a bit of a break from a series that we've been in. Because we've been walking through the uh, letters at the beginning of the book of Revelation. These uh, letters to seven churches, complimenting and calling out different things going on in that community. And asking how that applies to us and our church and our lives. Uh, but we've, we've gone over the halfway point, and I'm thinking we might need a palate cleanser from this long walk in Revelation. So today I'm going to step us back uh, into the lectionary, which we kind of dance with. We're not married to her, but we'll dance with her from time to time. The lectionary is the collection of readings that's shared by churches all over the world. And the idea behind it is for each Sunday, it offers you a psalm and an Old Testament reading and a gospel and a New Testament, a letter. And the idea is if you walk through it as a church, once every three years, you will have picked up the whole story of the Bible. And so we spend a lot of times following it, but we also deviate when we feel the need to explore something deeper together. So we've been in the lectionary, and then we popped out for Revelation. We're just going to step back into it randomly for a moment and see where we're at. And the place it drops us today is the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, one of my absolute favorite chapters in the whole of the Bible, right up there with Job 40, Matthew 5, John 1. This whole section of Hebrews is just Stunning. The whole book, really, you should spend some time with it. Uh, this book was most likely written uh, in the mid-30s, mid-60s, by an unknown author. And it seems to be written just before the Jewish-Roman War to Jewish believers in Jerusalem, uh, feeling that tension bubbling up in their community as they're about to face down a global imperial superpower. And they're asking the question... Are we, are we sure about this Jesus? Because, I mean, we, we're looking for a Messiah, and we think we might have found one, but things are getting pretty hot, and we're wondering, like, are we sure, like really, really sure that this Jesus is the right answer? So the author takes time to walk through the entirety of the first five books of the Bible. The whole Torah is explored, retold by Hebrews, and the author shows them that Jesus is four things, specifically that Jesus is the living word of God, superior to the old law, that Jesus is the hope for the new creation, Jesus is their eternal priest, and that Jesus is, was, and always will be the perfect sacrifice. And all of these grand themes deserve proper attention. We could spend a year in Hebrews, but that's not what we're looking at today. Today, we will enter our conversation with the text during the author's last movement, their last big point. So Hebrews has shown us 
who Jesus is and what Jesus does. Jesus is the fullest extent of the word of God. Greater than the law, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus is the hope for the full restoration of all things. The undoing of sin and the answer to all of Israel's failings in history and our own. Jesus serves as our great high priest, connecting us to God, giving us a way to pray and interceding on our behalf. Jesus is the perfect and final sacrifice. The former sacrifices, that whole system, were ongoing constantly. Every day, there, there's blood and smoke and fire all the time at the temple because there was always more need for more sacrifice. But Jesus, Hebrews tells us, has offered himself as a sacrifice once and for all. The author has spent the first several sections of this book explaining who Jesus is and what Jesus does. So the question left to ask and to answer is who are we and what should we do? And this is the question that I think this last section of Hebrews is trying to offer. So let's look at today's passage from the 11th chapter of Hebrews. We've got it on the screen for you. We'll do the first three verses and then jump to eight. So don't, don't be confused by the numbers. The author writes, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what we see was not made out of what is visible. Jumps to verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, but like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him to the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, not a tent, but a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful. That's God who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, Abraham was old, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people, don't miss this, all this, these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things that were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking forward to a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So, if the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us how we should respond to who Jesus is, this is frankly an odd way of doing it. Uh, chapter 11, the whole thing, there's more of it than we read, 
wants to give us examples to follow and to show us what it looks like to live a godly life, to follow God faithfully. So let's take a look at this list. We missed some of it. Uh, Start with Abel, one of the first children of Adam and Eve. Uh, He showed us what it looks like, what it means to bring a pleasing offering to the Lord. Next was Enoch. We're told he walked so closely with God. He was so faithful that he was taken. He didn't die. He was taken away without experiencing death. Uh, Noah's next. Uh, Noah, who is faithful when God asked him to do something impossible, becomes the Savior, a Savior of humanity. Abraham and Sarah are on this list, the ones who followed God's command to go, not knowing where they were going, just knowing that they wanted to obey. The parents of the family through which God would bless the whole world. Uh, His son and grandson make the list as well. Great-grandson Joseph is here. Uh, You know, the one from the musical. Uh, He's on this list. Even when his brothers did terrible evil to him, his faithfulness, I know, can you believe it? His faithfulness allowed for God to use him, making him the number two in Egypt and making a way for the survival of the holy family. Rahab the prostitute is named. She protects Hebrew spies in the city of Jericho and chooses to fear God. In the gospel, she makes the list of one of the ancestors of Jesus. Moses, we have Moses here too. Can't make a list without Moses. The man who God chose to lead his people out of slavery, to receive the Ten Commandments and the law, the great leader of the people. He led the people of God through the wilderness all the way to the edge of the promised land, finally being able to die, having seen the promise. And this is the story that sets up the imagery the author uses to drive home their point about how we should think about our lives. Verse 13 said, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. That first line there is really important. All these people were still living when they died. They did not receive the things promised. So let's, let's talk about promises for a minute. Listening to the, the music today, you might have realized that we have a plan, that the theme of promises pervades all of it. Now, th- this is a project that I took on a while back. I've collected uh, all the promises of God that I could find in the Bible. It's a big old document. There's a bunch in here. All throughout the book, from Genesis to Revelation, um, I'm just going to grab a few random ones. God chooses Abraham to bring about blessing for the whole earth. That's a promise he makes. You will bless the whole earth. How about numbers? Okay, Uh, the Lord promises to bless you and to keep you. Let's go somewhere completely random. Uh, From Proverbs, the Lord disciplines those he loves. How about, when was the last time you read Obadiah to find out about the promises of God? The Mount of Zion will be a place of deliverance. That's a pretty good promise. Uh, Philippians, he who began a good work in you will bring it through to completion. First uh, John, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. The book is chocked full of them. It is a book full of promises. The whole Bible is full of these promises because God is a God of promises. 
And if you're a faithful follower of Jesus, you bank on these promises. You trust these promises. You take risks based on these promises. You lean on these promises. You, you stand on these promises. We might have sang that today. Uh, and you declare these promises of God in your life. And if, if you're like me and you grew up in the church, then you've been raised on these promises. They're like a foundation to you. God is for you. He's not against you. God has a plan for you. God will provide for you. God will give you a hope and a future. God will not lie to you. God has shown you a way to go. God will heal you. God will protect you. God will give you purpose. So what do you do when the promises of God in your life seem at best only partially fulfilled? Well, let's, uh, let's look at that list of names again. Abel, the first proof of God's image in the humans. They have the ability to create and expand their community. And God has given them a promise that sin would be defeated by a son of Eve. And now she has two sons, Cain and Abel. Maybe one of these will be the one to set the world right. Fratricide. How about Noah, who is supposed to be the hope for rebuilding the human world? God promises him protection and a future. His story leads to a state of broken family and dishonored. The best of humanity, a naked drunk, alone in a tent. Abraham has promised children greater than the sand on the shore and like the stars in the sky. And he dies with only a handful of kids. Let's jump a few generations. How about Joseph, whose family God promises to save through him? The product of this salvation is 430 years of slavery in the empire of Egypt. Then here comes Moses, the murderer, who is called to lead the people out of slavery and to give them the law. Only he doesn't even make it to the promised land. He's too proud to even be allowed in. They all demand that we ask the question, what do we do when the promises of God seem at best only partially fulfilled? What do we do when we believe that God is a healer, but the cancer is still there? What do you do when you raise a child to quote Proverbs in the way that they should go? and they still wander from the faith. What do you do when you believe that God will provide, but you still can't get a job? What do you do when you believe that God wants to bless your marriage, but you feel like you're drifting apart? What do you do when you believe that God has a purpose for you, but you feel empty or lost? What do you do when the promises of God in your life seem at best partially fulfilled. Verse 13, all these people died living in faith. They did not see, receive the promises. They didn't get the things promised to them. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. I'm going to jump to chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. 
What is the answer to the question of what do you do when the promises of God feel at best partially fulfilled? Chapter 12 gives it to us right there at the start. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, referring to all the saints of the church, dead and living, the extraordinary and the seemingly mundane, the heroes and the simple, those who knew that even though they may die without the things promised to them, that they were not deterred because they were focused on Jesus. Because to quote uh, St. Teresa, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, we are not called to be successful. We are only called to be faithful. Faithful to what? Hebrews 12 again. Faithful to Jesus. Jesus is the living word of God, superior to the law. Jesus is the hope for the world set right. Jesus is the eternal priest connecting us to God. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice taking away sin. And Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. How do we do that? Right? That's a good question. How do we do that? How do we remain faithful to Jesus when it seems like the promises are unfulfilled? How do you keep going when you don't understand? How did Abraham? How did Jacob? How did Isaac? How did Joseph? How did Moses? How did Samuel? How did David or Isaiah or Elijah or Jeremiah, Micah or John or James or Peter or Paul? How did the early persecuted church leaders or saints like Polycarp and Augustine? How did Martin Luther, John Wycliffe, or Diedrich Bonhoeffer, or William Wilberforce, or St. Teresa. How did they stay faithful? They remained faithful by remembering that the story was not about them. It was about Jesus. How can we keep going because the story is not about us? This is not a story about you. This is a story about Jesus. This is not your church. And it's not mine. This is Jesus' church. So we will relent in our smallness, in our wants, in our pride. We will relent in our agendas, and we will follow Jesus. Let me ask you something. It, for, this, this is the line that comes up in my head when I start to get a little frustrated with God, when I feel like the promises haven't been fulfilled in my life. The, the phrase that the Spirit brings up in the back of my mind is, when did Jesus stop being enough? What is anything you could want besides Jesus? I'll wait. Is there a, find, find a promise. Find a promise that God has made to you that he hasn't kept in Jesus. Any single promise. I've got a binder of them. You're welcome to go through it later. I'll leave it out. It, it's a big book. And all, all of them are yes and amen. We sang that earlier too. All of the promises of God have been fulfilled in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 120 says that for whatever the promises of God may be all of them are yes and all of them are amen all of them are fulfilled and kept in Jesus no matter what God has promised we find it perfectly fulfilled in Jesus 
the Jesus that chapter 12 calls us to fix our eyes on. What does it look like to fix our eyes on Jesus? We will keep to our task. We will build a community of faith, of hope, and of love. We will be the family of God on earth, and we will live out the kingdom of God. We will stand as a beacon of love to the broken and the discarded and the vulnerable, regardless of what it costs us. We will preach the gospel of total reconciliation to anyone who will listen, and our doors will be as wide as the arms of the crucified Savior. We will not be deterred, for we are cheered on by a great cloud of witnesses. Look around you. You are surrounded. We will be not be deterred because we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. All the Christians that have gone before us, all of those in this room, our first graders declare the glory of God in this place. We will fix our eyes on Jesus and we will follow him towards greater justice, greater beauty, greater acceptance, towards stronger community, towards total reconciliation, greater faith, hope, and love. Even if we don't get there, believing that we are forging a path for those that come after us. Because Jesus is still alive. Jesus is still here. Jesus is still speaking. Jesus is still moving. And it's our job only to follow him. All of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth, that they were doing something weird. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, look around you. Let us throw off everything that hinders and run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter. Amen. At this point in the service, as we prepare to uh, join together and worship again, we leave space for response. Uh, Maybe something has touched you today. Maybe it was music or prayer or scripture. Maybe it was seeing the future of the church lined up down front. Maybe that that demands a response. I'm taking the maybe out. That demands a response. If anything gripped you today, this is time for you to respond to that. Maybe right where you are, maybe you need to sit quietly and pray. Maybe you need to stand and worship with abandon with the praise team. Maybe you need to come down front and pray. If you come down here and pray, a deacon's going to come put their arms around you and pray with you. Maybe you want to take that first step of faith this morning. I'll I'll be down front to to receive you if you want to say yes to that Jesus today. However you're called to respond, this space is open for you. Let me pray for us. God of the promise, you have promised us so many things, community, protection, healing, restoration, a family, and all of them have been perfectly fulfilled in the gift of your son. We are overwhelmed by your love. You're so good to us. You're so faithful to us. And we ask that you would break us with your love, that we could be humble enough, brave enough, strong enough to be 
reckless with our love, that we could love like you do in ways that don't make sense, in ways that are too big to explain, that we could be peace for our community, that we could be love for our community, that we could show what it would look like for the kingdom of God to exist in Kennesaw.